Welcome to the audio podcast of The Father's House. We hope and pray you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. Right now, while we're on our feet honoring the Word of God, this is going to come on the full screen. Lift up your voice and let's read together from chapter 6. Here we go. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of... Okay, yeah. Pull up a chair because I want to ask you how you pronounce that. Some of you are like Melchez, Melchez, has, uh, Worcestershire, you know. <laughs> So as I study and bring the word to you guys every weekend, uh, a lot of times I'll dig into original Hebrew because I want to pronounce things correctly. And so I did my research on this name, Melchizedek, and I, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And of course, I learned it online, and so it was accurate, and I came to pastor prayer. And uh, I shared it with our pastors last Wednesday, and uh, Miles Weiss, who oversees Beit Abba, and he speaks fluent Hebrew. He's our resident rabbi. He said, Pastor Dave, I want to be gracious here, but you really botched that up. I'm like, okay, please do share. So he taught me how to say that name, and it's uh, Malach. You got to get a little something in your throat. Malach. Um, Sadiq. Malach. Sadiq. All of us on three. One, two, three. Malach. Sadiq. Oh, very well. Now, some of you, you said that. You spit a little something on the back of the person in front of you. You should repent. Others like, ain't no way I'm trying that. And then there's a visitor going, where have you brought me? But look at you learning ancient Hebrew on Sunday morning. Good on you. Now, we'll, we'll say his name several ways. Most of the time, I'm just going to call him Mel today. So, yes, thank you for grace. No matter what I call him, just be gracious. Because I, I was tempted to skip over chapter 7, because the whole chapter 7 in Hebrews is about this mystery man, Malak Sadiq. And I thought, well, you know, there's, it's a bit obscure, but yet he's mentioned nine times in the book of Hebrews... And his, his story goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 14 when he meets with Abraham. It's kind of a big deal. But as I started unpacking it, I realized there's some great revelation in this for you today. And I'm excited to share the next few minutes because I believe some of you are going to have a desire to encounter the reality of Jesus in a way you've never encountered him. And that's what this chapter is all about. You know, but Paul himself makes a disclaimer as he's getting ready to talk about Mel. He says this in chapter 5. There's much more we'd like to say about this. He's referring to Melchizedek. But it is difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. Just a slight rebuke by Paul right there. And we talked a couple weeks ago, if you missed the lesson, about when spiritual hearing loss occurs. And here's when it occurs. When we lack taking action on the teaching we receive, it creates spiritual hearing loss. That's why James wrote, you must be doers of the word, not just hearers, because if you just hear teachings and sermons and come to church and process information without applying it to your life, you move into spiritual self-deception. But Paul said, this is a mystery that I want to unpack. And I believe we need to examine both the simplicity and embrace both the simplicity and the complexity of scripture, because that's the way the author designed it. Have you realized this about your Bible? It can be very simple, very straightforward, like, hey, do to others as you'd have them do unto you. We all get that. It needs no further interpretation. Or let no foul or unwholesome communication come out your mouth. That's pretty clear, isn't it? 
But then there's other prophetic conundrums and things that are complex and there are mysteries. And this is the way it's designed because of the nature of the author. It says here in Isaiah 55, 9, this is God speaking first person. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways. And what? Read the bowl with me. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. So here in Vacaville, for those sitting on the floor, let's say we all say we're down here with our thoughts on the floor, but God's thoughts are these lights about 30 feet in the air. And what I'd like you to do is all jump up and see if you can reach God's thoughts. Now, some of you could jump a foot higher or 18 inches higher. You got great jump reach or athletic, but still you're so far from grasping the thoughts of God. And that is the design of the word. So we have to embrace both the clear instruction of the word and wrestle with complex thoughts and theories that we can't wrap our mind around. You know, as I've studied the word, I thought you have the love of God juxtaposed with the terror of the Lord. You have simple instruction right alongside complex issues that we must wrestle through. You've got things that are very prophetic that we're trying to interpret and other things that are just simple. And so we have to embrace both. But here's a thought. There are secrets and mysteries in the Bible by God's design. And this is a bit of a segue before we get into the content today, but I think it's going to help some folks. And I've always loved Deuteronomy 29, 29. There's a key here that I want to pass to you if you've never picked this key up. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are, read the bowl with me, accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. So get this. When we don't understand the mysteries and the secrets, it's okay. They belong to God. We must rest in the sovereignty of God. One of the great trials of your life is this. When you hit the why gods of your life, why God did this happen? My, my wife's mom, uh, my mother-in-law, she helped plant this church, intercessor, beautiful lady, and uh, got diagnosed with cancer in her mid-50s and, and had a battle with cancer, died at a very young age. We prayed and we fasted and she went to heaven. And we're like, why God? My pastor, Pastor Wendell Smith from the City Church, Seattle, same thing, died prematurely of cancer. And you wrestle with those things. I'm like, God, why did you have to take him? And Lord, if, there, if you want to take out some people, I got a whole list of folks I'll <laughs> submit to you. You know, don't take Wendell. And so you wrestle with this. But here's the thing. When you don't understand the mysteries, you can trust the sovereignty. And trusting the sovereignty is not simplicity. It's not naivety. You know what it is? I can trust the sovereignty of God because I know his character. And anything in my life where I'm like, why God and how could this happen? I can trust the God of character who's sovereign in his activity. Even on a broken planet with sin and brokenness and failure, he reigns above it all. Come on, somebody. He reigns above it all. So I trust his sovereignty, but I want to understand the mystery. So we should look into the word of God. We should dig in as we look at chapter seven. Read with me here. Look at this. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and he blessed him. Look at this. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Malak Sadiq or Melchizedek means king of righteousness and also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Then he takes a shift without father or mother without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Well, we just shifted here, didn't we? We're talking about somebody else. Resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. 
Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Now, for this Hebrew audience, the church was about 50 years old at the time, and in their understanding, their paradigm, Abraham was top of the food chain. Abraham's the father of all who believe, and he gave birth to Isaac, the promised child, the son of laughter, who gave birth to Jacob, and now we have the 12 tribes. And the great, kind of like the dream team, was Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is where their faith was based. Enter Jesus of Nazareth. And all of a sudden, Paul is saying, this is the great high priest who remains forever. He's before all things. He's after all things. And then he gives a type and an analogy by going back 1,400 years to Melchizedek. And he actually says, in a matter of words, which we'll unpack, that Mel is Jesus. Jesus showed up 1,400 years ago. Do you know that Jesus had lunch with Abraham? You know that Jesus sat underneath a tree with Hagar and made her a promise of covenant? You know that Jesus walked into a fire with three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, you can spot Jesus throughout the Old Testament, yet his name is not Jesus, just a little bit of theological backdrop, and it's this. Jesus was given the name where? Matthew chapter one. Mary's pregnant. The angel says, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, the deliverer, for he will save his people from their sin. But there yet is the son of God who remains forever. He created all things by the word of his mouth. He holds the universe together with his words. And so we need to understand that the son of God is eternal and he was named Jesus when he came to earth as an infant, humbled himself, and he was born on a broken planet to become the redeemer. Another theological nuance to take in is this. No one can see the father and live. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and he's a friend of God. He's heard God's voice, and he asked this bold question. He says, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. And the father said this, Exodus 22, I think it is. He said, no, 33. Yeah, 33. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You'll find it. (laughs) He looks at him. He says, no one can see the father and live. This is a principle because of his holiness and the way it's designed. And so we know that the appearances of God in the Old Testament is what the Bible um, would call Yahweh, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, God meeting with man face to face. The theological term, and many of you have heard this, is a Christophany. There's theophanies and Christophany. So a Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son. And I want to tell you that Jesus shows up throughout the Old Testament. But every time he shows up, and this is what I want to pack for a few minutes and help you, there's a reason when Jesus shows up. There's a reason. There's people that position themselves. And I want to give you three reasons why Jesus showed up in Christophanies and to Abraham through Melchizedek and why he'll show up in your life as we unpack the word of God today. Let me give you a little bit of a sampling of all the evidence of Jesus in the Old Testament. And if you would, at all locations, when we get to the bold, I'm gonna blow through about five or six verses. Lift up your voice and read the bold with me. Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of what? The Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That was Genesis, uh, Jesus. Genesis 12.7. Let's read it. The Lord appeared to Abraham. And he said, 
I'm going to give the offspring, uh, your offspring this land. Look at Genesis 17.1. When Abraham was 99 years old, read it out. The Lord appeared to him and said. Genesis 32.30. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, read it out. I have seen God. Yet my life has been spared. And then fast forward to the New Testament. You'll see this in 1 Corinthians 10. Our ancestors in the wilderness all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Read it out. And that rock was Christ. Say what? Jesus was with the children of Israel, delivered from Egypt in the book of Exodus. Christ was moving with them. These are the Christophanies. This is Jesus showing up. Now, how does this apply to you today? I wrote out a thesis. Going to read it out. It's on the screen. When Jesus shows up, One encounter with the power and presence of God has the capacity to change you for the rest of your life, the potential to rewrite your story, redirect your destiny, and change you into the person he has called and designed you to be. Now, as you're reading the Bible and you're studying scripture, here's what you're gonna find. It's all about personal encounters. And some people push back on charismatic or Pentecostal streams and say, you guys, are, you know, you're all about uh, emotionalism and having these encounters and the events and dreams and visions and prophetic words. Well, yes, we are. <laughs> but not to the absence of accuracy in the word of God and com- confirmation from the word of God. But everybody I find in the Bible that wrote a book or told a story, guess what happened? They saw an angel, they met with the Lord, they had the dead raised back to life, they saw a vision. This is a book full of encounters that will change your life for the rest of your life. And let me just give you a heads up here at the Father's house. I do not want you to practice a religious experience week in, week out, where you audit a service, sing some songs, hear me pontificate, get a teaching, check the box, and go back home. That can be a form of dead religion. And you can do that for years and years. There's a lot of people that attend church yet are far from God. God's desire for you is that you would encounter the person and the presence and the reality of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be personal. It would shift and change your life. You know, I was sharing in the earlier service, I'm celebrating coming up on 41 years of, of ministry, 41 years of walking with the Lord. And And my life is a story of a broken train wreck of a kid that Jesus just redeemed by grace and set me free and called me up out of darkness into his marvelous light. But I got to tell you, I'm here today doing what I do because he encountered me personally. This wasn't my granddaddy's religion or my daddy's experience or the church I went to. Jesus will appear to you as you need to hear from him, see him and know him. And it's going to be a personal revelation of the Son of God, and that's gonna change your life. Jesus showing up means he comes to you personally and in power. Now, there are three different levels, uh, general categories of the presence of God. Just some review here. There's the omnipresence of God, right? Which means what? God is everywhere all the time. David said, there's nowhere I can run and escape your presence. There's an alarming verse in the book of Proverbs. It says that the eyes of the Lord, the awareness of God, is everywhere observing the good and the evil. Just let that sink in for a minute. He's not missing anything. Remember that old song that's come to me as I studied? It's a powerful moment. I always feel like somebody's... Oh, yeah. Okay, thanks for backing me up. And you know why that is? Because someone is always watching you. 
That's the omnipresence of God. And then there's the grace of the abiding presence of God for the believer. So you become a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit indwells your life and Jesus made you this promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Now sometimes you can't sense it, you can't feel it. He seems distance, distant, but yet you have this promise that he is walking with you. Now, you can walk away and we studied this. You can harden your heart. You can apostatize. You can run from God and escape from his presence to a degree. But as long as you are a Christ follower, you have the abiding promise of his nearness. And then there's the personalized presence of God. This is where Jesus shows up in your life in a supernatural way, through dreams, visions, encounters, prophetic words, moments where you know he's real beyond any shadow of a doubt, and nobody can talk you out of it. Now, with all these Christophanies that are in the Word, I just want to briefly look at three and apply them to your life in the few minutes we have today. Number one, Jesus shows up when we are in diligent and relentless pursuit of him. Let me ask you a personal question. Are you giving God a reason to show up in your life right now? Are you giving him a reason, a place and a space for him to reveal himself at a brand new level? This is the seek and find principle in the word. The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. The more I love you, the more I seek you. The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more. And you have this cycle of growing intimacy with the Lord, but you can also reverse it. The less I seek you, the less I hear from you, the more my heart gets hardened and I get distant. The seek is on you. Draw near to the Lord, he'll draw near to you. Seek his face, you'll find him. A familiar verse in Jeremiah 29, then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me. Read the bowl together, when you seek me with all your heart. This word in Hebrew, it means to search. It means to create a well-worn path to the object of your investigation. Now, I want to look at one Christophany real quick and on this one as far as a diligent pursuit of God. There's a young man by the name of Daniel. Got a whole book about him. Read it. It's great stuff. Theologians, historians believe that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are around 16, 17 years old. So you got these 17-year-old dudes that are kidnapped from Israel. They're abducted and they're taken to Babylon, the wicked empire of the known world, largest city in the world at that time, over 250,000 people. And when they're in Babylon, they are being groomed to be leaders in a pagan nation. They're fed their food, given their wine, educated by their leaders, and being trained with different philosophy, with different, much of what's going on in our world right now. There's a cultural brainwashing that's been going on for quite some time. And our job as Christian parents, this is not on my notes, let me just lean in. Your job as a Christian parent and guardian is to raise your children in the house of the Lord, to get them established in the word of God so that they stand a chance against the wind of culture in the age in which we live. And so the king says, hey, Daniel, you're going to eat the fine food and we're going to train you up with the wisest of people here in Babylon. Daniel goes, no, I, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm not going to the buffet. I'm not eating the fine beef. In fact, I'm going to go on a fast and I'm going to seek the Lord. And he sets his heart to seek the Lord. Now, here's a key to faith in diligence and pursuing God. We know about Daniel and his 21-day fast, and so we pattern our fasting times much after Daniel in a month of January, if you're familiar with the Father's House fasting, fasting schedules. But Daniel didn't know when God was going to show up. Just every day, he would open his windows toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he would bow his knee, and he would seek the Lord. And in this diligent pursuit, 
There's something about faith that says, I'm going to do it until. Let me encourage every parent in the room, if you have a prodigal son or daughter away from God, pray until. If you're stretching yourself in the area of tithing and giving, do it until. And then keep doing it after that. If you're running after God for a promise that he's put in your heart, hang on to that promise until you see it come to pass. So here's our guy, Daniel, getting ready to have a Christophany in Daniel chapter 10. It says, on the 24th day, the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Who's he talking about right here? Jesus shows up in Babylon. Now, 600 years after this event, there's an exact description of this individual in the book of Revelation, the coming king. This is Jesus showing up on the scene. Says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking as I listened to him. I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, your words, um, excuse me, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. And stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. God responds to a diligent, all-out, faithful pursuit of him. So are you giving Jesus a reason to show up in your life. This is a discipline. This falls under the area of discipline. If you get up every morning and set aside 30 minutes to pray, that's diligence. If you show up every Thursday night at all locations that are pursuit night to worship and pray with the intercessors, diligence. Join our fasting army. Right now, over 600, 700 people fast a day a month for a move of God in California. Join the fasting. Diligence. Set Seasons aside, where you're saying, God, I'm going to pursue you until you are giving God a reason to show up in your life. Number two, Jesus shows up when you stand for the truth of the word, no matter what, in a culture that is bowed to idols. This is another Christophany. I was talking about Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of you know these guys if you're church kids. Uh, Again, 17 years old. And this narcissistic, wicked king, of Babylon, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, he decides that everybody's gonna bow down and worship him. So he makes a mandate, and he sends us out to the land. He says, we're gonna erect a 90-foot-tall gold statue of me. And when the music plays, everybody's gonna bow down and worship me. This is Neb, he has some problems for sure. And then he said, because he's worried they may not worship his image, he said, if you don't, we're going to toss you into a burning furnace and burn you to death. Okay, who's ready to worship? How many know that's not worship? That, that doesn't fall into that category. But the three Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just said, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're not bowing to the music. 
We're not bowing down to this king. So sure enough, there was minimum of about a half a million people, 500,000, because all Mesopotamia was, Mesopotamia was invited. They're out on this plane. The music plays. Everybody bows down. And here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just standing there going, okay, we worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Let me just tell you. God is raising up right now a generation. This is why we do Rally Conference, because God's going to speak to some young people that get a determination in their heart. No matter how dark culture gets, no matter how loud the music of culture gets, no matter how strong the peer pressure is, we will not bow down. We're going to stand for the truth of God's word. We're going to stand for who Jesus is. We're going to declare his truth in the earth, no matter the consequence. And when you land in that spot, you have positioned yourself for Jesus to show up in your life. Because a lot of us, we're like hedging our bets. So God, I'll, I'll do that as long as you'll show up preemptively before the persecution starts or the fire gets too hot. You know what these three guys said? They said, our God is able to save us. But if he doesn't, we still ain't going to bow. My prayer for you is you have a we still ain't gonna bow in your spirit and no matter what culture tries to pressure the church into, there is a group of people that are not living by their truth, they're living by the truth. We are established on the word of God. We're clear on our convictions. There are clear moral absolutes in the word of God. We know who we are in Christ and I ain't gonna bow. And I'm not trying to be arrogant or prideful in that. I'm just clear on who my God is. And right now, with the Bible being deconstructed and denominations falling left and right and dropping biblical morality, biblical sexuality, and rewriting the canon of Scripture, are you kidding me? I'm going to stand before the author of that book. And he's going to look me into the eye. And he's going to say either, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. There are only two replies on that day. And I don't know about you, but I plan on holding up the truth of the word of God in my lifetime. I ain't going to bow. All right, are you guys awake now? Okay, I'll go back to being calm and demure. You gotta stand for this truth. So they chucked these guys in the furnace. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the word tells us not even the smell of smoke was upon them. Why? Because they stood their ground. Let me ask you a personal question before we move on to the final point. Are you prepared to stand for the truth of God's word and your convictions, your God-given convictions, no matter what the consequences are? If you are, you are positioned for Jesus to walk in and show up in your life. Last one. Jesus shows up when you are wrestling with the higher call of God that is yet to be revealed in your life. I know something about you. You got more potential than you're living in. I know something about you. You have more capacity than you're operating in. I know something about all of us because 
the work of Christ in us, the development of the image of Jesus and the capacity to do something for him, it increases. We go from faith to faith, glory to glory. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life. I want to leave it all on the floor for Christ. I want to leave it all on the field. I don't want to walk into eternity with untapped potential and regrets that I didn't reach out in faith. You know, Paul, the apostle, the probable writer of this letter, he used, a, he used a Olympic and athletic verbiage when he said in Philippians, I'm forgetting all that stuff behind me. And I press, I strive, I reach for what? The high call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is at a time in his life when he was very successful. He planted churches and written a bunch of letters in the New Testament that are now the Bible. His resume was pretty stellar. But his attitude was, I'm going to keep reaching and pressing for what's not here yet. And so there's a Christophany in Genesis chapter 32. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, his name is Surplanter, Usurper, Schemer. Who would name their kid that? But they did. And God was getting ready to change his name. And there's a freaky portion of scripture if you really read it for what it is. Jesus shows up and gets in a wrestling match with Jacob. And he wrestles till dawn. God allowed a man to be in a wrestling match with him in the middle of the night until the sun began to come up. Now think about this. You got Jesus in a headlock, you know? <laughs> He's looking up going, hey, I gotta go now. Jacob's going, I won't let you go till you bless me. So he kind of flicked him on the hip and put his hip out of socket and said, don't forget, it was a good wrestling match. <laughs> God bless, literally. It's a bizarre portion of scripture. But think of how bizarre it is that the creator of the heavens and earth who spoke the world into existence with a word humbled himself and became a helpless infant and grew up on a broken planet. That's bizarre as well. Just the nature of the, of the Bible that we read. So here's the portion I want to read to you. Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. And what is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why, why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen the face of God, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Let me ask you something. This is a struggle. It's a determination. I've been in it for four decades now, and I gotta tell you, as I stand here today, I'm still struggling. I, I'm still wrestling with what's next and the call of God on my life because there's, there's a version of you that's yet to be seen. And if you're willing just to work your nine to five and do your thing, and by the way, secular work is holy because it supports you to do the rest of your ministry. But you're not just about punching a time clock and making some money and taking a vacation to get the extra car and the extension on the house. That's not why we're here. You're born in shape for eternity, for the work of the Father, and you gotta go after it. You gotta make a determination. I'm gonna wrestle this thing through, and I will meet with God. And when you get that heart, guess what? Jesus is gonna show up in your life. He's gonna reveal what's next, because what God has called you to do by faith will not happen without a stretch of faith, without you moving into areas where it's beyond your pay grade, your charisma, your good looks, your anointing. You're gonna need something you ain't got right right now to get where God wants to take you. And you got to be willing to struggle. 
And once, once we encounter Jesus, now I have the band come up giving the illusion I'm going to stop soon. <laughs> once we encounter him, and there's Christophanies, there's dozens we could dig into. New and Old Testament, these appearances of, of Jesus that, that change and shape your life. I remember I was still just partying and high, and I've shared this story, but one night I had Leonard Skinner on 11, and drugs in the car, and Holy Spirit dropped into my 55 Chevy, and I wept so hard I had to pull over. And Jesus said, I've got more for you than this. There's a call on your life. One moment, one sentence from Jesus can change your complete trajectory, can change your life. And when Jesus shows up, then there's an accurate response. Got to ask you a personal question. What's yours? What is your personal response to Jesus showing up in your life? Abraham, back to our main character in chapter 7, he tithed. Say what? I thought that's something the churches did to try to raise the budget. No, tithing is not law. This was 400 years before the law was implemented. Tithing is honoring. Tithering is saying, I give my substance and my source back to God because it's the least that I could do. Abraham had just defeated some wicked kings, rescuing his nephew Lot from Sodom. And he was in a battle and God was proud of him. He was doing the work of the kingdom. And so Melchizedek shows up and Abraham's first response is here, I wanna honor you. As it says in Proverbs, honor the Lord with your wealth. Why is that such a big deal? Because your wealth speaks of who you are. Your income speaks of your labor and your desires and your options and where your money is, your treasure is there, your heart is also. So he said, God, this is the least I can do. What is your response? I know my response. I'll share one personal story and we'll pray in about three minutes. I came to the Lord, train wreck of a life. I'm a single dude. And I used to have a lot of different jobs and side hustles and I did construction and different things. And I was working at a treatment plant out, out in Dillard, Oregon. Roseburg, Dillard. You don't need to go there, don't worry, but it's out there. Any place named Dillard, just drive around it. And I would go out there and I drove a forklift on swing shift and I'd go to work about 3.30, get off about 11.30. And when I got off work, I would go downtown Roseburg and my dad was the pastor of a church. Remember, I'm the rebellious kid away from God for years and I'm 22 and I'm back. But I was such a mess that I knew if I didn't seek him every day, I couldn't stand. And so I had a key to the church, this old Methodist church, big stained glass, concrete, wood pews, and there was a basement that was a very scary place. Yeah, don't go into a Methodist church at night, just scare the hell out of you. So I would go down to the basement about midnight, and I'd go into this room, I remember the room, the carpet, the spot, and I'd wait on God. I'd go up in the sanctuary and play the guitar and sing a little bit and read my Bible and walk around. I'd be there two, three hours every night, midnight to 2 a.m., midnight to 3 a.m. Many, many nights I watched the sun come up, not because I was spiritual, but because I was desperate. And in my desperation, I gave Jesus a reason to show up in my life. I remember one night I'm in this room and I'm on my face and I'm crying out to God and the Holy Spirit showed up. I'm not talking about the omni, I'm talking about the kabod, the glory. Now, there's a level of the presence of God that's comforting, and then there's a level of the presence of God that creates awe and reverence, and then there's a level that's terrifying, reading the Bible. I was right between awe and reverence and terrifying. And I'm on my face, and I'm afraid to open my eyes. 
because of what I will see. And God is there. And I'm hearing a conversation. I don't think it was audible, but I knew what they were saying. There's a conversation in heaven about my life. Why? I'm just a broken 22-year-old trying to get off the drugs and live right for God. Don't know what in the heck I'm gonna do with my life, young kid. But I was available. I was desperate. I was diligently pursuing. And I was in a place where Jesus said, I'll show up for that. God is near the broken and the contrite. A broken and a contrite spirit he will not despise. And when you come with all your mess and just lay the heap of your life before Jesus and say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I ain't going anywhere without you. Do, 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 do. There's a radar in heaven that says, I can use that heart. I can touch that life. So I won't go into details of what was said, but what was said 41 years ago in that room has been the trajectory that I've been running on for four decades. An encounter, because my response was, I got up and I said, I don't care what it looks like, you got the rest of me for as long as I'm on the planet. Now, have I failed? More times than I can number. Have I, have I sinned? Yes, worse than I would ever confess from a sage. <laughs> Just like you. You know what I've done? I always come back to that moment where Jesus walked into the room and said, my son, I love you. And I've got a plan for you that's so far greater than what you can imagine. And if you give me all you have, I'll make something out of your life that will astound you. And I'm no exception. I'm just an average dude that said, Jesus, take all of me. <laughs> if you give him a reason, he'll show up. And when he shows up, give me a response. When you give him your response, you'll live a life that you'll never regret. And I look forward to that day. Ha. It says we'll throw our crowns at his feet. I'm like, I don't want any crowns. It's not talking about like a stack of Burger King crowns on your head. <laughs> you know what it is? The honor, the reputation, the weight of your life, your successes, whatever people thought you accomplished, We'll take all that and it will be our joy to lay those at the feet of Jesus on that day. Say, Lord, it's all been by your grace because you showed up. There's a Christophany waiting for you. In fact, Jesus is here in this room. He's saying, all you that are weary, beat up, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll encounter you. I'll change your life. And that's my prayer for you today. For more information on our church, log on to our website at tfh.org or check out the TFH app.